Welcome, birders. This is Ed Pullen, your host on the Bird Banter Podcast, where birders talk birding. It's great to be back doing a podcast again. This is a little delayed. I've been trying to put out about two episodes a month, but this one is delayed because I just got back from visiting my daughter and my son in Costa Rica. Costa Rica is, you know, a really fun place for me to go. I love having a daughter who lives here. Be nice to have her closer to home, maybe, but I do love having a having a family member who lives in Costa Rica. It gives me an excuse to go down regularly. But this was my first visit during the rainy season. I knew it rained a lot in Costa Rica during the rainy season, but it really rained. We had a couple of tropical storms go through while I was there, plus the usual afternoon deluges and uh, a lot of rain. Uh, so I didn't get a lot of birding done, but I had a great family visit, and I had hoped to get an episode done while I was there. I had a, an idea for an episode. It just, you know, it just didn't happen. So little delayed, but good to be back. And I'm really excited about my guest this episode. Dan Casey is a Montana birder. Montana is, you know, I live in Washington, so it's a relatively nearby state, but the states are big. Uh, Washington's pretty far across, and Montana's a big state. So it's farther than you might think to get from Montana to Washington. If you're an East Coast birder, you know, going from Maine to Vermont is pretty easy. Going from Washington to uh, Central or Eastern Montana is a bigger undertaking. But it's really fun to have Dan on today. Dan's been a Montana birder for decades. I found him because he's the number one eBird lister in Montana, and he had a profile that sounded really interesting and I'm sure glad I got him on because he was a really fun guest to have. I think you'll learn a lot from talking to Dan about Montana birds and just a really nice balanced perspective on birding. I really enjoyed talking to Dan so I think you'll enjoy the Bird Banner podcast with Dan Casey. Daniel, thanks for doing the podcast with me today. How are you doing? My pleasure, doing well. Good. You are a Montana birder. I've only been to Montana kind of on my way out of Yellowstone, headed back here, and one birding trip I took to Montana, which a, a long time ago to see some sparrows, and it was a really fabulous trip. I think it was in early June, and it was just wonderful. Cold at times, but really wonderful. If I had to guess, Baird Sparrow was one of the ones. Yeah, that was one of the ones. Yeah, there were a handful of sparrows uh, that we were looking for up there. And uh, the thing that shocked me was shorebirds. Oh, my goodness. Sure. We just had a fabulous, just a fabulous shorebird migration. I think I don't even remember. We had maybe almost, I don't know. I can't remember the number, but it was a huge number of species of shorebirds. It was just shocking to us. So, that, you know, just don't expect that. I didn't. I'm guessing you must have gone to Benton Lake or uh, Bedoin Refuge. Exactly. We did the, the, there are two or three rivers that run north, south and have big uh, wetland areas around them. And oh, they were terrific. Terrific. Yeah. Yeah. Very nice. Uh, so uh, tell me your birding story again. I, I saw on your eBird profile that you grew up in New Jersey and then have uh, uh, did your education in Colorado and then ended up in Montana. So kind of walk me through your story. Well, I was, uh, I was raised in a family where there was a lot of camping and a lot of time uh, spent in the woods. And, you know, a lot of people, of course, in the West don't really have much of a clue about New Jersey. So they figure if you grew up in New Jersey, you must have been like <clears throat> Manhattan. But uh, I lived actually in a rural part of New Jersey in the Northwest. And uh, as a kid, I was always turning over logs and catching snakes and catching frogs and crawdads and whatnot. And <clears throat> I had a, a, a junior high science teacher who was a birder. And uh, he saw in a few of us um, an interest, you know, at recess, we'd be out catching a snapping turtle in the swamp next to the school or whatever. And uh, 
he saw that interest in us and started going on some trips to the New Jersey shore in the winter, mm. uh, which can be really rewarding, uh, challenging, cold, of course, on the coast. But uh, And then um, a, a seminal moment was when our television broke when I was in uh, the sixth grade, about the same time I started doing this birding. And my mom didn't get a new one. So I happen to live in a great place for birds. I spent a lot of time chasing them around the woods. I just really got the, the I just really got the bug. So uh, after um, several years birding in, in a part of New Jersey that really has a lot of diversity, um, people are familiar with the World Series of Birding. Uh, sure. The lake I lived at was a stop for many of those teams for some of the birds it provided. Uh, I was lived right along the Kittatinny Ridge, which is the spine of the Appalachians there. And um Great warbler. I, I could see 15 species of warblers in my backyard. I still have a hot, a, a warm spot for uh, eastern warblers. Uh, that uh, it's hard to hard to really meet that in the West. But uh, um, decided that I wanted to go into a career that would involve birds. Uh, went and got a degree in in wildlife biology at Colorado State. Did my master's in Pennsylvania, working on breeding bird communities in deciduous forest. And, uh, and then was lucky to turn my passion into a career working for three different organizations for the bulk of my career. So. Cool. Uh, so you, you got a job in Montana, it sounds like. Yeah. So I worked in consulting for a while in Colorado, <clears throat> right after I got out of school, um, did projects in Montana and elsewhere, but I developed a few connections in Montana. And uh, when our first child was born, we were living in Denver, didn't really want to raise our kid in Denver had an opportunity to apply for a job in Montana, working for Montana Fish, Wildlife and Parks, moved here in 83. Uh, and uh, and then just was um, glad to be around when Partners in Flight, when the whole movement about neotropical migrant birds and the concerns about their population declines kind of took hold. And there were people like me working in state agencies who that was our real passion, but there weren't necessarily a lot of opportunities to express that on, in the job. Um, so as Partners in Flight caught hold, I was, <clears throat> I was the Partners in Flight chairman for Montana, and I worked with the Western gr Working Group of Partners in Flight. And so I built a network of connections throughout the Western U.S. and, and just feel blessed to have been able to work on birds and, uh, you know, really, like I say, just make my love uh, into a career. Very nice. I, I have heard of Partners in Flight, but not something I'm very familiar with. Can you tell me a little bit about that, please? Yeah, so Partners in Flight began uh, in the early 90s uh, when folks at the National Fish and Wildlife Foundation uh, realized that uh, there was a lot of information coming out about serious declines, especially in eastern forest birds, um, where um, populations of things like wood thrush had declined dramatically uh, based on the breeding bird survey, which of course is a survey that's done by volunteers such as myself and a lot of others. Actually, I don't do them anymore because I just, my hearing, I'm 66 not a good person to survey anymore. Um, in any case, um, they got some grant money together and started this partners in flight effort. And basically what it was, was that any organization or state agency or, uh, you know, nonprofits that had an interest in bird conservation sort of came together to identify priorities, look for research gaps, uh, try to do better population surveys where they were needed. And, and it tapped into a lot of people like myself who, had this great love of birds. Um, it was right up our alley. I mean, that's kind of why I went into that as a career. 
Um, and so it was just really a, a catalyst for a lot of effort and it's still going, it's, you know, still ongoing. I mean, people now are much more familiar with the plight of, of, of migrant birds. There's really some, some, uh, good movement afoot to provide funding to, through a lot of different, both the federal government and through <clears throat> various, uh, granting organizations to meet the needs of, of non-game birds and, and most state agencies, my own agency that I worked for, Montana Fish, Wildlife, and Parks. When I came on board, they had one non-game biologist for the entire state of Montana. Now they have them in each region. Uh, you know, there's much more of a, a focus on, on non-game wildlife, and much of that, of course, is on birds. So, uh, yeah, it was it was great. And, and through that effort, I, I got a job with American Bird Conservancy, and then I finished my career working for the Northern Great Plains Joint Venture, which is Again, a, a group of agencies and organizations, in that case, um, World Wildlife Fund, Rocky Mountain Bird Observatory, American Bird Conservancy, Fish and Wildlife Service, you know, state agencies, all with a, an interest in grassland bird conservation in the Northern Great Plains. And so um, a lot of effort there to keep ranching on the land, to keep uh, grassland right side up, um, because grassland birds are the ones that have had the most serious declines. For sure. Uh, yeah. So. Um, you know, now that I'm retired, uh, I sit on a few boards, four different boards, but uh, uh, now it's mostly recreational birding. So, cool. Uh, I you've uh, certainly birded Montana. I, I found you on eBird. Uh, sometimes when I go fishing for a guest, I'll say, "Well, I, I haven't talked to anybody from Montana yet. Let's see who the eBirders there are." And you're at the top of the list for lifetime <laughs> eBird listers, and and you had a profile. Uh, and right. through your profile, I, you know, on, online, you can find almost anyone and you're yeah. nice and nice enough to get back to me, but you're the, you're the top e-bird lister in Montana. So you certainly have gotten around the state and done some birding. Yeah. I, uh, I've lived in Montana now since 83 and, uh, mostly in Northwestern Montana, but I've done a lot of work in the Eastern part of the state. And actually think about eBird. That's interesting. I, you know, I've always been a lister and, and obviously most birders are to some level or another. It varies a lot between people. Uh, I've always, uh, I've always been a, a lister, but the, to me, the incentive is to just stop and smell the roses, if you will, you know, it's, um, you know, if you're in a new area, what have you seen in that area? What have you not seen in that area? It gets you out looking. And uh, when eBird came along, I, I didn't get on board right away, but I did. Um, when I took my last job in my career in Billings, Montana, I was working in the eastern part of the state, uh, spending a lot of time traveling and working in a lot of the counties that I had not previously been in. Right. And, uh, and you know it's a it's a sickness, but it's a it's a fun hobby. The uh, the whole county listing thing uh, became a, a a driving force in my birding because you know I never kept track of that before, but eBird does it for you. You can't help and, but keep track of it with eBird, can you? Exactly. And so the, one of the first years that I was working out of Billings, I uh, I realized I had a chance to go to every county in the state that year, all fifty six counties in Montana. So I did that, <clears throat> and then uh, as I started to accumulate numbers. I, I set a goal to try to see a hundred species in each County in the state. And so my last, you know, sort of destination birding the last few years has been strictly around County listing, which, you know, the thing about that is, and I've always felt this as a birder, <clears throat> we all love rarities. I mean, I'm on the rare bird committee. I, you know, we always want to go see something rare. I haven't traditionally been a chaser, but I, uh, I've always appreciated common birds. And I think, um, the young man I mentioned earlier, Josh Koval, a kid that I helped to mentor, what I appreciated in him is from early on, he appreciated looks at common birds. You know, it's some, some birders just tend to only focus on the rarities, you know, 
Um, and I, to me, the whole county listing thing is to really appreciate the entire bird community in different parts of the state that I hadn't been in. So that's been a driving thing. I'm down now to six counties that I, that I have not hit 100 in. And maybe the end of this year, but certainly the end of next year, I should take care of that. And then I have to set a new goal, I guess. Yeah, I've, I've, you know, that is a common thing. I've, there are 39 counties in Washington, and I've been plucking away at getting 100 in each of those. I've got three left to go. Yeah, okay. uh, and and uh, and uh, they're all a long ways from where I right. live, unfortunately. <laughs> Mine are either far away or small. I mean, you know, the last counties that are left are are ones that just don't have a lot of variety of habitat because they're small mm-hmm. counties. Yeah, and I live in and, one of the biggest counties. And unless unless you go in May and really bird the heck out of it, right. you kind of have to go in kind of the winter and in right. the spring and maybe right, a variety the fall of seasons, too. Exactly. And, yeah. Uh, unless you're unless you're lucky enough to have a county that you can just pop a hundred in a in a good day in May. But right. that's not that's that takes knowing your way around and it's not a given. <laughs> well I really I mean because I've been in the state for so long and because I've did done so much traveling across the state, I really have gotten to know it well. But still in any one of these county trips, uh, I mean I recommend this to people just because you're going to find places that you're just astounded by that are just these wonderful places that you've just been driving past for decades and you just take a side road and wow, look at this Canyon. I've never been in, you know, it's just really a a rewarding thing to me. I am loving that part of it too. Really exploring some places that, you know, you don't go there to get a state list because the birds are just easier to find somewhere else or it's a long ways out of the way. But when you get there and look around, it's boy, this is cool. I haven't seen that before. Yeah, you have a lot of life roads on those trips. Right, exactly. Well, two two of the counties that I have left are uh, about six hundred miles from home, so that <laughs> that's going to take a concerted uh, yeah. trip. But. My uh, my experience with Montana is mostly driving through it, going either east or west, and right. And uh, it's a long, I, I, especially going east from going going east from here. You kind of get over the mountains, and then you just there's a highway that just seems like it just goes until you can't see it anymore. And it does that for hours. <laughs> <laughs> it's just really, and I love, I love the speed limit size. I'm probably not that way anymore, but the first time I drove across Montana, it said uh, speed limit, what? 75 strictly enforced after dark. <laughs> right. <And it> was, <laughs> for a while, the speed limit was reasonable and prudent. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it was open to interpretation, but most of the tickets they gave at that time were people that interpret that as, well, let's go 110 miles an hour. So yeah. people here drive fast. They still drive fast now that the speed limits are there, but they're still pretty high. Yeah. But they need yeah. to be they're going to cover some ground. It's, it's a long state, a, a big state, both directions really, but especially east to west. It's a long yeah. ways yeah. for sure. Uh, so county birding is, is on your uh, agenda. Uh, do you, where, where do you live exactly? So I live in Summers, Montana, which is a small town on the north end of Flathead Lake, south of Kalispell. Oh, okay. Kalispell is a place maybe a lot of people have heard of just because it's currently, I think, the fastest growing micro urban area in the country. Um, oh, wow. COVID has ne- not necessarily done us any favors as everybody can work remotely. It's done my family favors because my daughter and son-in-law moved here uh, to work remotely two years ago and are still here. But but yeah, I live, so I live on the west side, so we share some birds with you. I mean, this part mm-hmm. of the state has got chestnut-backed chickadees, varied thrushes, you know, sure. birds of the, the Pacific wrens. Birds of the coniferous forest, yeah. Yeah, and yeah, northwestern birds. Um, and it's a little bit milder. You know, the, the big Arctic fronts that come through Montana generally stay on the east side of the mountains. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, if anything here, it's, it's grayer in the winter and greener in the summer than much of the state. But yeah. Um, 
Very nice. I remember Flathead Lake. I drove to Glacier once from here, Glacier National Park. And uh, not that there are any glaciers there anymore, but I went to Glacier Glacier National Park and went right by Flathead Lake. And I said, this is a cool place. I think I had Huckleberry ice cream there or something like that. (laughs) Pretty standard. We're coming up on the Huckleberry season right now, actually. They should be ripe soon. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah, nice. Besides county birding, what other sorts of things uh, do, do you do? Do you have uh, 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 do you try for a big uh, your own county list every year or what do you do? Uh, well, you know, I track that uh, last year I did a green uh, big year, but I didn't really put too much of an effort in. So it was just mainly local. Um, you know, year listing is not a big priority for me. Again, you know, eBird does it for you, but I don't I don't necessarily um travel around the state specifically for that reason. Mm-hmm. Um, I, uh, I am trying to work, uh, you know, as far as eBird goes, I'm trying to improve the local hotspots. Um, you know, sometimes I'll, I'll, I'll use the eBird search function to see which ones are lacking photos for a particular hotspot so that when mm-hmm. people do that illustrated checklist, they, there's more photos. Nice. Uh, some of those kind of incentives to uh, enjoy the local areas a little bit more. um yeah and you know occasionally i'll i'll chase like i said i don't chase birds much but uh we had a uh uh, gargany in eastern montana this spring in billings which is a 460 mile drive and uh way far and away the furthest i've ever chased a bird but it was a global life bird for me so so nice so you got that good for you yeah yeah and then um was it a male it was it was a beautiful male wow nice Yeah. Nice. Gargany is yeah, on my uh, hope for someday list. So yeah. yeah, we've had, we had a Baikal teal not too many years ago. I did go down for that in Missoula and then uh, this one, but so I think this was the, God, I ought to know off the tip of my tongue, fourth Gargany for the state, something like that. Yeah. 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 It's, it's a really, really snazzy bird. If listeners don't know Gargany, just look it up. It's spectacular. Be- beautiful. I, I'm also involved in some projects. So I, uh, 14, 15 years ago, I started a hawk watch here in Western Montana. I had grown up in New Jersey near uh, <laughs> Sunrise Mountain, which is on the Kittatinny Ridge, same ridge line that Hawk Mountain is on, mm-hmm. and uh, it helped out with some hawk trapping and hawk surveys there. And uh, a good friend of mine, Steve Hoffman, had started Hawk Watch International, actually, where they did the go shoots in, in Utah and Bridger Mountains in, in Montana, which is a great golden eagle spot. We have a local area here. It's in a hiking area on the Flathead National Forest called the Jewel Basin. And our family, we'd hike there in the fall. And every time we did, I'd see a few raptors. And I think, I wonder if this could be a, a, a migration site. So we started in 2007. We did some exploratory work. And now we've been doing it annually. And we, you know, compared to Eastern and, you know, North Central and certainly Mexican uh, migration sites, we don't get extraordinary numbers. We get like 2,500 to 4,000 birds a season. But Lots of accepters and, and, and in really close, you know, they pass right on the ridge line. And uh, it's just been a really good place to outreach to other birders and make them appreciate some of what we have here. And uh, Forest Service has been involved as a partner. So that's been fun. It's also the most exercise I get in an annual cycle is hiking up and down the mountains to count hawks. <laughs> yeah, very nice. Hawk watching is special. I, uh, my first hawk watch was, I think, at Butler Mountain in, in uh, New York. I was, I was in the Army at West Point. And I okay. just, I just begun birding. I mean, just begun birding. And, uh, uh, and I went to, heard there was a hawk watch and I went to, I didn't even know what a hawk watch was, went to it and, 
<laughs> it was it was the craziest thing. All these people sitting on bleachers calling out birds. It was the craziest thing. And you know, and they had numbers on the fence, number ten. Uh, sharp shinned hawk, uh, two glasses yeah. above number nine. And I'm like, whoa, right. how can you tell? <laughs> it, was, it was pretty darn cool. Uh, mm-hmm. But out here, it's a little different. Yeah. Yeah, we get that. We, I mean, we get uh, up to 2,000 uh, sharp, sharp shins a year. And uh, you get so you can tell two miles away that that's what it is. And people are always, you know, flabbergasted at that. But it's like, well, when you've seen 10,000 of them over the years. Yeah, you, you can tell. Uh, yeah. Flap, flap, glide, and the way, the way the head's right. sunk in between the wings and different things. But it's, you know, hawk watch is a different, it's like pelagic birding. It's just a different skill. You know, it's uh, just because you're pretty good at knowing the birds around doesn't mean you can hawk right. watch or that you can go out on a pelagic trip and know what you're seeing. It's a different right. sort of skill. Oh yeah, I'm definitely out of my element in pelagic birding. There's not a lot of that here in Montana, obviously. No, a flathead like doesn't quite count. I don't think. I did go out with uh, Terry Waller out of Westport years ago, mm-hmm. many many years ago. Um, yeah, I think uh, I was about to get my 500th life bird, and I thought this will be great. It'll be an albatross, but it was northwestern crow. Before we got on the boat, <laughs> but, but gone, gone. Doesn't yeah, count I know. Anymore. Lost that one. <laughs> but we had a great trip. You know. All, all the Jaegers and I was, it was really fun. Yeah. yeah. That is still going. That is the, that is the longest running continuous uh, pelagic uh, survey in the world. That's, uh, that's wild. That's over great. four, over 40 years. They keep great data. It's Westport seabirds. Now. Uh, Terry passed. Did he not? Terry did. I'm quite Recent, certain. Recently. Uh, uh, in the last heard. few years, I think, uh, I but, the, but Bill Twight and, uh, Bruce Labar. There's a, a handful of uh, really good pelagic birders who uh, uh, are the guides on that. And uh, Phil Anderson has the boat that he takes out. He's uh, he and his wife are just superb hosts. So anyone who wants to go pelagic birding in Washington, get it in because I don't know how many more years Phil's going to do it. And I, it, there's some doubt as to whether it might continue after that. So huh. yeah, yeah. Hopefully, some will figure it out. But. Yeah, we'll see. it is fun. I, most recently, I did one in out of Bodega Bay with a group of people there mm-hmm. in, in California, and saw blue whales in addition to just a wonderful variety of birds. And, and had yeah. a friend photographed a Pomerine Jaeger chasing a spotted towhee over the ocean. <laughs> That's different. That's yeah. different. If they had a gray wagtail a couple of years ago on the uh, uh, the Pelagic out of Washington. It was a kind of a crazy story because. Uh, you know, they're going along and, and a, a bird starts flying behind the boat and it's, it's, everyone says, it's a yellow wagtail. And everyone says, yeah, yeah, it's a yellow wagtail. And then this Brit was on the boat says, you know, I don't think that's a yellow wagtail. I think that's a gray wagtail. And everyone says, oh my goodness. And the cameras start going like crazy. And sure enough, it was. Yeah. Handy to have a Brit on board for sure. Yeah. Nice for that. Nice for that. But anyway, the, it's, it's amazing. The little birds you'll find 30, 40 miles out in the ocean. Sometimes yeah. they are not where they belong. And I don't Many think of it, them, it probably yeah. doesn't end well for most of them, but yeah. exactly. Yeah. Uh, at least maybe one of them fed a Jaeger. <laughs> anyway, uh, you have done some other things. I know you wrote, you wrote or co-authored the book birds of Montana. Those, those undertakings, you know, in this day of uh, instantaneous, dissemination of information, you know, eBird and, and uh, everything like that. You know, it, it I, I wondered, this, I had Bill Twight was on as a guest a while ago and Bill helped co-author the Birds of Washington book, which right. I, I haven't seen yours, but I think it's a similar undertaking, just status and, and distribution of, and natural history and history of 
sightings of literally every species in the state. And uh, I, I said, does that still play a role? And he kind of educated me. That it certainly does. Having a snapshot in time is different than a than an ongoing uh, uh, thing like eBird. So, and I got the book and looked it over. It is a cool project. How did that go for you? Well, I, you know, I was uh, one of three authors. It was really a labor of love by Jeff Marks, who was the primary author. Uh, Jeff lives in Portland now. Um, and it was a 12-year project. Uh, so uh, it, we really tried to be comprehensive, uh, a, a real um, summary of all the historic uh, explorers and, the, you know, the first records of, of uh, birds in Montana as, as people came across the state. Uh, and then, you know, uh, basically the entire um, history of all the sightings of, of all the rare birds that we know of. And then... Uh, you know, dates uh, and sprinkled in with natural history and whatnot. I think it's one of the better state uh, books, really. It's, it stands right up there with some of the best, um, mostly because of Jeff. Like I said, I was really happy to be involved in the project uh, and really proud of it. Uh, you know, it's it's not for everyone, because, but it's a really great reference to if you really want the full story on the birds of Montana. As we continue to update things, it'll probably be online in its next version. It's just inevitable um, the way that books have gone, but <clears throat> I think one of the first purchasers returned it and said there were too many words because mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> it's really a reference book. Yeah, it's, um, it's not designed to be a, a, a coffee table look at the pictures book at all. No, not at all. It does have some wonderful illustrations and whatnot, but uh, it was quite a project, and uh, and it really, you know, we had only had one previous statewide book, and it was from the twenties, um, and so it was really you know, overdue. And Jeff made a point of going to all the collections, all the biggest collections in the country and, and really getting the collection records and uh, just a, an extraordinary uh, effort. And I just, like I said, I was very happy to be involved in it. I bet you were. That's, that's uh, yeah, good work on your part. I have to say those are really uh, for serious uh, students of birds. Those are indispensable. They're just a great reference. Oh, nice picture. I like the owl. Is that a Help me ID that. That's the boreal. A boreal. Boreal. Owl. Okay. Yeah. I, I, it, it's a little fuzzy. <laughs> anyway, on, on the, on, not on the book, obviously. On, on our Zoom. Right. On our Zoom, it's a little <laughs> fuzzy. <laughs> Good. Uh, so, what's going forward for you, uh, Dan? What do, what do you have? You're, you're going to continue with your county birding and that sort of thing. Do you, do you travel much for birding? You know, I don't travel a lot. Um, I, I've uh, taken one international trip in the last several years. My first trip to Africa, I went to Ghana on a birding Ooh, trip nice. uh, with Jeff, with my friend Jeff, who uh, he started a, an, an organization called the Montana Bird Advocacy. And uh, I'm on the board of that group. And he, he does some international trips as fundraisers for the group. And we've just been working as a group on, on sort of improving our knowledge on some key birds, like uh, delineating breeding for solitary sandpipers in Montana, uh, working on extending the known range of blue-gray gnat catchers in the state. Um, we're going to try to do a project on horned grebes in the near future. But yeah, I took a trip to Ghana with him. Uh, it was wonderful. I, uh, I still haven't, you know, in Partners in Flight, I work with a lot of people who travel a lot to the tropics, to the neotropics, to... Mm -hmm. As we mentioned, Costa Rica, Mexico, you know, Panama, Peru, Ecuador, whatever. In fact, Jeff just got back from a trip to Peru, another fundraising trip. Um, I am planning this Costa Rica trip with Josh in in uh, February. That'll be exciting. I have a 
I, I met some folks who were with Partners in Flight Costa Rica, and I bought a field guide from them at a meeting in McAllen, Texas, many years ago. My field guide has been to Costa Rica three times. I have not been to Costa Rica. I've sent my book with other people, so it's overdue that I take my there, own book. To... There are some good new ones you might think about. Too. Yeah, I know, yeah. right? I do have the Birds of Peru, which I just recently purchased, but um yeah, so I have that. And my wife and I were planning on going to Australia and COVID kind of threw the wrench in those works so a couple of years in a row. Um, she's really a tennis aficionado. We were going to oh. go to the Australian Open and combine that with some birding. We still may try to do that next year or the year after. Um, other than that, travels in-state mostly, uh, you know, like I said, for this county listing business. And then, I'm, you know, I'm working on various boards, um, you know, from a work standpoint, not a birding standpoint, but I'm on sure. the Lawn Society board and the Flathead Audubon board. I lead some trips locally for the Flathead Audubon group. Nice. Uh, and then as you probably saw that I'm interested in, you know, sort of helping eBird realize its potential. I try yeah. to give some talks and sort of share how to use eBird correctly with other people. You know, being a reviewer is one thing, but actually, you know, working with people to learn how to use it, um, something I'm trying to move towards doing more often. Yeah, I have to say one of the things that I've noticed that Cornell does is not necessarily eBird, but the new Merlin app sound identification. I have, you know, non-birders, I've, I've kind of turned or backyard birders, casual right. bird, sure. casual right. bird watchers uh, will say, uh, I have this bird calling in the backyard. I, can you tell me what it is? It goes quack, you know, whatever. <laughs> and I go, well, you know, there's an app called Merlin. It's free on your phone. And why don't you download it and see what it says? And they go, they call me back. My goodness, that's the coolest thing ever. Yes, yeah, so it is. I mean, I have to say it's, it's pretty darn cool. Yeah, it's. I mean, there's a lot of room for improvement still. I mean, you know, Cornell will be the first to say that people should try to verify the bird and make sure that it's picking from the right sort of universe of possibilities. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, as a reviewer, uh, I don't necessarily <laughs> like seeing a lot of birds coming in that just said Merlin said this was what it was and they yeah. didn't see it. Um, but it's improving all the time. And I mean, that, that, I think one of the most exciting things in 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 bird science in the last three decades is eBird and, and the way that that tool has grown as a way to people, for people to engage, for citizen scientists to contribute data. Uh, as far as a learning curve, I mean, you know, when I started birding, it was a Peterson field guide and a mentor yeah. and, and a lot of time in the woods, which is no substitute for that. I mean, that's the best way to learn birds is to be out there all the time looking at them. And listening and watching them sing and you know getting that positive reinforcement but but the tools that are available now it's phenomenal uh it's just a matter of making sure that people use them the right way and so i try to be an ambassador to some degree to do that you know i help i help the other ebird reviewers we coordinate and i kind of help to wrangle that a little bit with to make sure that we're on the same page about how to handle exotics and what do we do with these merlin things and um but yeah, it's, it's really been a great way to get more people to engage in this hobby. And it's, you know, it continues to grow and it's wonderful. The things that show up from people that had just barely paid attention before maybe, and then say, well, I had this thing. What's this bird is, you know, one of the other things. Totally. Yeah. You know, things that show up on there. It's like, you know, we had a, we've had one crested caracara record in Montana and it was just in someone's backyard. It wasn't a birder. Yeah. Hey, I had this really unusual bird in my backyard, you know? Yeah. Our highlight of the winter was a red flank blue tail in, oh, in, in, yeah, Lake, in Lake Forest park right near Seattle. And it was a photographer who was not really a birder, uh, just a good photographer, uh, took a picture out our back window and said, 
I saw this bird and I'd never seen it in my backyard before. Uh, and she posted it to uh, one of the Facebook groups and, uh, you know, 50 birders descended on her house the next morning. <laughs> and, uh, and she was the absolute most fabulous host of, of things. She, uh, she studied this bird. She learned uh, and, and she uh, it stayed around for a month or so. And she learned that uh, as long as people stayed, in her in her side yard and watched it would come right back to the same thing or ran a route and come right back but if they went to the neighbor's yard and tried to look over the fence they were too close and it just went away until i left and she's she called up the neighbors and don't let them go in your backyard they should come in my yard because they're scaring the bird away in your yard so he put a rope up and everybody came around to her yard and it, it was pretty spectacular really is yeah i've got a <laughs> i've got a daughter and son-in-law and a grandson they live in burien Oh, and so we get out to Washington several times a year. I usually resist the urge to uh, work too much on my Washington list because time with the grandson is uh, takes a, a big priority. But uh, for sure, so I'm not sure if I was there when that bird was present. I don't think I was, but yeah, uh, it, was, uh, it was about a month it was here. I don't know it was anyway. So you get out to this area of Burien, that's not far. I'm, I'm in Tacoma, so it's you know, yeah. uh, well, Maybe less than an hour, I'd say, to Burien. So that's pretty cool. Anyway, uh, are there other uh, other things? You said you'd been on your on served on the Rare Bird Committee, uh, both uh, Bird Records Committee. I say Rare Bird Committee, Bird Records Committee. I know the members right. don't like being called a Rare Bird Committee. Yeah, Bird, Rec right. Bird Records Committee in uh, Montana and in Colorado. Uh, uh, are you still serving in those capacities? Well, I am. Yeah, I so Colorado was long time ago. I was fresh out of college. Uh, here in Montana, we first established a committee in uh, 1990 or 91, and I was on the first committee, and uh, and then I was on it for a long time, uh, but then I stepped off eventually. We had been talking about trying to diversify it. You know, the Montana birding community uh, up until the last decade or so has been a pretty small community. I mean, we're a state with less than a million people up until recently. And, uh, you know, key, key birders in various places in the state that are, you know, decades of experience and all. But um, and I just, we we wanted to get more younger birders, uh, more women on the committee. You know, it was a bunch of bunch of old white guys is what it yeah. was, it, you know, hasn't changed that, that much. Uh, but we have definitely gotten younger and have more women on there. So I stepped out. I was the chairman for a while. Uh, we kind of rotate that. Um, I stepped off the committee for a while and when I took my most recent, my, my last job in my career when I was in Billings and, uh, and allowed, you know, I said, let's make some space for other people to get engaged in this process. And, uh, and then I joined up again when I retired. So I'm on there now. So all the people on the Montana, we have 13 members, which is a pretty That's large, a big, committee. big committee. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, in this day and age, it's kind of interesting because we don't really have, so we have a cutoff of 20 records. So, you know, statewide uh, mm -hmm. with some exceptions and things, but so everything that's occurred less than 20 times automatically is a, something we would like to review. Now that there's this many more birders, a whole lot of birds have passed that threshold, right? So now we're down to, you know, basically new birds or the occasional rarities like that uh, Gargany. Um, but all of us are eBird reviewers. And so that's kind of, it's kind of uh, almost a, an amalgam right now, you know, because much of the work that we do is really our, in our role as eBird reviewers rather than as rec records committee people. Right. And, and now with digital photography, the way it is, you know, probably 90% of the rare birds that are reported to us get, get verified photographically and, you know, pretty easily. So, 
So there's not that much to do relative to accept or don't accept. We don't really actually reject that many records. Um, but it's still good to have, you know, we get together once a year in person and once a year electronically, we review whatever sort of passel of records we have. And, you know, to me, it's kind of like the listing thing makes you stop to smell the roses. Same thing serving on the committee makes you pay a little bit more attention to sort of improved resources, new knowledge about how to separate, you know, sandpipers or flycatchers or whatever it happens to be, you know, helps to keep you current. Um, and it also, you know, we put an emphasis on, on having people on the committee that do engage with the birding community. Um, you know, in a lot of states, the committees get a reputation for sort of being this ivory tower group of people that are the yeah. bird police, you know, et cetera. And you can't fight all of that. Some people are always going to take offense when you ask them to, to provide more details. But um, but most of us are pretty well engaged, uh, if, if especially all the more so because of eBird now. So and I, I really do enjoy that. And of course, it's camaraderie, you know, interesting for me in my career working in bird conservation, I worked mostly with people in other states. And so while I was still working, a lot of my travel uh, was throughout the Western U.S. and occasionally back to Washington, D.C. and and a network of people that I know in, in states, in all the Western states. Well, now that I retired, I don't see those people anymore. I don't get in a plane and go to these other states so much anymore. Um, so here in the state, you know, it's really, to me, it's one of the things I always look forward to is getting together with this cadre of people on the committee. Sure who are all from Montana, but, you know, many of them, I don't see other than when we have those get togethers, cause it's such a big state, but our, so. our, our committee in Washington always uh, goes to Nia Bay. They meet in, I think uh, September, October, October, I think early October, Nia Bay is the, the unequivocally best place to find rare vagrants in Washington. They meet, I want to say on Saturday, let's say, and then right after the meeting, they drive to Nia Bay, get there in the dark and bird a couple of days all together in Nia Bay, or a lot of them do. And it's, oh boy, that's a good time to be in Nia Bay because they yeah. are going to find some good birds. Ours is similar. We meet in Great Falls because it's central, uh, but it's on the Missouri River. We meet in late September. We've met as late as early November. Uh, we have a long history because, you know, get all these good birders in one place at one time. And so we always, you know, the, the meeting is half a day, basically. Well, most, uh, most of a day, but we get together the night before and then the morning and then afterwards in various combinations. And we always find something odd, you know, a Jaeger or some scoters or, or, you know, an out of season or out of place flycatcher or warbler or whatever. Yeah. You know, we have a long history of finding some yeah. fun birds. Yeah. yeah, I bet you do. You get a lot of talent in one place and you're all having fun together. It's a uh, feed yeah. off it, feed off it. That's great stuff. Good for you. Uh, I want to uh, just give you a chance to uh, put a shout out for any cause you might uh, feel passionate about. Is there a conservation cause or other, other cause you want to put a good word in for? Well, you know, I, I worked for American Bird Conservancy for a long time, and uh, I don't know how familiar most of your viewers are with American Bird Conservancy, but they do a lot of work on a lot of different uh, factors that have to do with population declines in birds. So a lot of the work is habitat work. The work that I did was habitat work. But there's some other things that they've done over the years for things that you can do as a homeowner as a, and as a citizen to improve the lot for birds. And, you know, a couple of the big ones are window, avoiding window strikes by putting, you know, tape on your windows if you have a, a window that traditionally kills birds and cats, uh, you know, indoor cats. And, you know, every time that people post about cats, it brings forth all kinds of emotions and lots of people love their cats. And I, I grew up in a house full of cats 
And when I was a kid, we had cats that were death on wheels. I mean, they killed everything. And I didn't think much about the biology of that, but now I do. Uh, and so I just urge people to, you know, your, your cat will be healthier if you keep it indoors. It won't be killing wildlife. And it's a significant mortality factor. Uh, so I just try to, you know, beat that drum when I can, knowing that, you know, sometimes that's a difficult thing to get across. But this whole idea of catios, I mean, I think Portland is the place. Of course, Portland's the leader in a lot of non-traditional approaches to whatever right but uh, mm-hmm. i think that's a leader in the in the area of catios which are outdoor enclosures that you put your cat yeah. outside it's outdoors but uh, it's it's not at risk of getting preyed upon and it's certainly not at risk of preying upon other things so those are uh, a big big uh, movement forward for people who want to have their cats some outdoor time so that's right. great uh, well thanks for that uh, dan if somebody wanted to reach out to you what would be the best way to get a hold of you uh probably via email okay um, uh I will, I will put your email uh, in the podcast notes in a way that doesn't get you spammed. Uh, so uh, <laughs> yeah, hopefully, hopefully. Oh, I, one thing I forgot to bring up, there's a, a really good young Washington birder, Dalton Spencer. I don't know if you've met Dalton yet. Oh yeah. He's, 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 he's at just, a student at Wash at Montana state. I think he is. Yeah. Uh, he is really good. I have not met Dalton. I've corresponded pretty knowledgeable. I think if you want some young blood on your bird records committee, reach out to Dalton. I think he'd be, you'd, you'd like him. Yeah. I think, you know, it'll be depend on what he does after college, right? If he stays sure. in the state or not, yeah. I have interacted with Dalton cause he's doing a big year here. Oh, okay. Uh, he just crossed 300. Um, there are some previous 300 big years in Montana, but uh, he's, you know, given that it's July and he's already over 300. I'm quite certain he's probably going to set a new mark because he's really covering some ground. I mean, the problem with doing that is the mileage involved. I mean, you just, it's a big state, you know, it's just so big. And so, yeah, he's just been down just this past. I'm I'm the reviewer because I lived in Billings as long as I did. I'm the eBird reviewer for most of Southeastern Montana. And he's been down there this past week and he's been getting, I mean, nothing extraordinary, but birds that trigger filters, yellow, yellow bill cuckoos, indigo bunting, um, you know, some of these things that a, that a Montana birder may miss in most years, you know, he's, yeah. he's really making the effort. So. He, he's very good. I, I did a, a Christmas bird count with the first time I met him was on a Christmas bird count at, uh, at Grace Harbor, which, and it was a horrible day. It was raining sideways, just a brutal day. And he had like six swamp sparrows. How can you even, I couldn't even hear myself think above this pouring rain that day. And he was hearing swamp sparrows and getting everybody on him. He's very good. Yeah, I find that uh, I, I I get depressed birding with young talented birders now just because of that hearing thing that I mentioned. I yeah. you know high end is kind of gone for me, and uh, um, it's just it, I, I mean I love getting out with those birders who are enthusiastic and can pick them up at, at distance like I used to be able to, but it's it just saddens me a little bit that I've lost it, and I'm not uh, ready to quite wear, wear bionic ears for birding yet. I mean I have not not enough hearing loss to affect conversation or any other. Yeah. Hearing, but, but your golden crown kinglet is long gone and you know yeah. cedar waxwings on the way out and you know the grasshopper sparrow forget about it you know etc yeah i hear <laughs> i'm blessed I, I i'm a family doctor and so i had a quiet job my whole life you know oh, good for you and, and so I, I can still hear not as well as i did 10 years ago but i'm i'm blessed by still being able to hear those species you talked about if in good conditions, you know, I can hear them. I worked on a golf course when I was young uh, with no ear protection, mowing. Uh, oh, boy. You know, aerial surveys as a biologist, the duck hunting, rock concerts, you name it, you know, too late. 
But yeah, that, that ship has sailed for you. But anyway, yeah. <laughs> uh, sounds like you're still having fun birding and that's really what Absolutely. counts. Absolutely. Yeah, always will. Good for you, Dan. Thanks so much for being a guest today. I really appreciate it. And uh, until next time, maybe I'll see you when you're out here sometime. Look me up Pleasure. if you want to go birding. Appreciate that. Pleasure talking with you, Edward. Nice to talk to you too. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, that wraps up the Bird Banner podcast episode with Dan Casey. Thanks for listening. Make sure you check out the podcast notes. I put Dan's email address there and some other links. And I also do a blog post for each episode. So check out the blog post on this episode on birdbanner.com under the blog section. Uh, I think you'll find a lot of other information uh, with links to some of the things we talked about today. And hopefully that'll be interesting too. So thanks for listening. Until next time, good birding. Good day. <laughs>